Well, good morning. Good to be with you by means of video and the internet. Uh, Dave Perry here, uh, of course, over in Canada. And Gary has asked me to take us to the scriptures this morning, particularly to Ezra chapters 1 and 2. So to there we go without further ado. And I'm just going to read a little, a few verses from each of those chapters, the opening verses in chapter 1 and just one verse from chapter 2. So here's what we are told in these portions of God's Word. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 3. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled... That was a priority, apparently, in the mind of Ezra. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation. Cyrus made this proclamation. I don't know if he knew this was the reason, but it was so in doing that, he would fulfill what Jeremiah said. That was the reason. They were all living under this promise. Here was the proclamation, verse 3. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Okay, then fast forward up to chapter 2, just the opening verse. It's about something very different in chapter 2, a long list of names. Now these, chapter 2, verse 1, these were the people of the province, meaning a province in Babylon where they had been held captive. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. Chapter 1 is about a house, rebuilding it. Chapter 2 is about a people. And there's this long list of names. That's the length of the Multitudes of these people seems to have mattered to Ezra, else otherwise he wouldn't have put it in his book. We see three things in these two chapters. A house and a people. The return was about living under a promise. All of this happened, Ezra tells us, to fulfill a promise God had given Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. And that was that at the end of the 70 years, the exiles would return. There's something heartening and something uplifting if part of your worldview is knowing that you live under a promise or under, making it even better, promises. Part of being the people of God means we're a people that have promises from God. I met my wife Velma in 1970, goodly number of you people probably weren't even born then, when she and I met up on a YWAM team. 
And at the end of the summer, we realized God seemed to be saying he had a future for us. The fellow that was the director of YWAM that summer for Canada, which is where we did our YWAM ministry, when we told him about our relationship, he said this. He quoted Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we've had to go back to that promise many, many times. We both came into our marriage, I think it's fair to say, with a fair bit of baggage. And we needed God's help to navigate through what it means to be a faithful husband and wife, faithful to one another, faithful to the Lord. And that promise has been one of our main resources. He's in it for the long haul with us. And of course, that wasn't just addressed to Dave and Velma. It was addressed to the church in Philippi and to the whole bride of Christ all over the earth. He's in this thing for the long haul. He's in it for you, for the long haul. That's a great promise. And I'm sure most of you, I hope most of you or all of you, have verses in Scripture that have become Holy Spirit promises that the Holy Spirit quickened to you that in some perhaps unique way that one is going to be, that verse is going to shape your destiny in the Lord. Go back to the promises of Scripture, the ones that are addressed to everybody, and just see how they apply to you, that God will finish his good work of salvation. There's something very ennobling that in all that, being a people under promise. A house and a return, that's the first thing we see. These people lived under a promise. Two, a house and a people, the return back to Judah was about God's commitment to living among his people. That commitment is seen right through both Testaments. That's why God told Moses to set up the tabernacle so that he would be able to dwell in the midst of the people. Look at the closing four verses. We won't go there now, but you can look later, uh, of the book of Exodus. The fire comes down, the manifest presence of God, into the tabernacle, which was in the middle of the camp. This was this dramatic, prophetic demonstration. God is committed to dwelling in the midst of his people. Later, King Solomon replaces that tabernacle with the temple. And the same fire, it's in, I think, Second uh, Chronicles 7, the same fire comes into uh, the temple that was in the tabernacle. Why? Because God is committed to living in the midst of his people. This all comes to a very dramatic fulfillment at the end of Scripture, Revelation 21, verse 3, John has this vision of this splendid city descending out of heaven onto the earth. And he hears a voice, and the voice says, Now the dwelling of God, do you get it? God's committed to dwelling in the midst of his people. Now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will be with them, and they will be his people. 
those prophetic moments in Scripture, keys to the purpose of God, the priorities of God, show us something. From the tabernacle in the wilderness to this splendid city descending out of the sky onto the earth, God's doing one thing. He's coming and dwelling in the midst of his people. It seems like this is a big deal for God. And in the exile of the people of Judah, and the destruction of Jerusalem, which all of which was really a judgment from God for Israel's chronic covenant breaking, Israel lost that dwelling place. But only for a season, because God spoke to Jeremiah and tell the people, and to tell the people that the season would come to an end and he would come back and refill the same tabernacle. Well, pardon me, the same temple. That's why the idea in chapter 1 of Ezra, the phrase, rebuild the temple, the house of the Lord, that those phrases reappear several times in that chapter. It was rebuilding God's house. These two chapters are about a house and a people, and God is committed to both. He's committed to this house. Now, why is this house such a big deal to God? Here's why. The clue we can see, it's probably best revealed if you go to 1 Kings chapter 8. And 1 Kings 8 is where King Solomon dedicates the newly constructed temple, which is like a replacement or a fulfillment, really, of the original temple tabernacle. And he says, he cries out to the Lord, and Solomon does, about when he's dedicating this temple, and he asks the Lord to come and dwell in it, and particularly, he asks the Lord to answer the prayers of Gentiles who come to the temple, so that all the nations might know, Solomon says, that you alone our God. You see, the temple was about a contact point between heaven and earth, between God and Israel, and more widely between God and the nations. And that, by the way, is why Jesus got so very upset about the money changers in the courts of the Gentiles, which is where those guys had set up their money tables. It was in the court of the Gentiles, and that meant it was harder for the Gentiles to get into the temple to connect with God. And that's why the temple was there. It was the contact point between God and Israel and God and the nations. It's a very big thing for God. The only time Jesus ever got violent was when people got in the way of that wonderful, grace-filled purpose, God dwelling in the midst of his people. A house and a people. The return was about living under a promise. A house and a people, the return was about God's commitment to living among his people. Here's a question. God clearly from these scriptures 
is devoted to his church. Am I? Am I devoted to his church? Question to ponder. All that, that commitment has been tested in this COVID thing because it has become very, very, very uh, inconvenient in many ways to get together. Uh, there's all sorts of restrictions and health concerns and the logistics of making it all happen and having to resort to Zoom and all the rest of it. I think some of us have Zoom fatigue. Sometimes I think I do. Well, just because something gets tested doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Maybe it means it does matter. Is God committed to his church? Is he devoted to it? And if he is, what about us? What about me? Point three, in conclusion, a house and a people. The return, this is all about the return to the land. The return was about being a part of something bigger than ourselves. That's a bit of a mouthful, so I'll say it again. The return, back to the land and rebuilding the house. The return was about being part of something bigger than ourselves. Chapter 1 of Ezra is about a task, building the house or rebuilding the house. Chapter 2 is a long, long list of names. If you do the arithmetic and all these clans and tribes and families, it comes out to thousands of people. That names list is modeled after the way it's written is to echo Numbers chapter 1, which is where we get the first census of the chosen people on their way to the land. And if you read the opening verses of Numbers 1 and the opening verses of Ezra 2, they are strikingly similar, and that is deliberate on Ezra's part. He wants the people to see they're a part of something bigger than themselves. They're like a part of a new exodus, a new leaving of Egypt, and a new entry into the land. But this time they're leaving Babylon and then re-entering the land. They're a part of this great drama that came, started before them and will continue after them. Part of something bigger than themselves. There were large numbers of people. We get used to this in both Testaments. But the, the large numbers of people idea probably comes to a climax in Revelation chapter 7. John says, I looked and I saw, because the whole book of Revelation is visions. I looked and I saw a multitude no one could number. I remember watching a video once of a, a big meeting that Reinhard Bonnke was preaching at in Africa. And it was one of these 360 videos where it went in a complete circle all around. You couldn't see the back of the crowd. There were so many people, and some of his team estimated 2 million people. Well, if they can give an educated guess, that's like a form of numbering. But the crowd John sees in Revelation 7-9 don't number it. No one can number it. It's so huge. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. Notice how frequently the New Testament epistles are addressed, not just to individuals like to Timothy or whatever, 
but more often to groups, the church of God, which is in Corinth, to uh, Timothy and the saints who were with him, things like that. The, the salutations at the beginning of most of the letters begin just like that. There are frequent ref- references to the little phrase, to the saints, because the letters were written to the church. Paul was hammering home this wonderful truth that all of us, people that he wrote to 2,000 years ago, and Christians in 2021, we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. Do we get that? This is a hard one for me. I'm a loner. I like to sit with a mug full of hot coffee and an open book, usually an open Bible, and read without anybody interrupting me. Well, you know what? Nothing wrong with solitude and devotion to God, but it's not the whole picture. Jesus had times of solitude, but he also spent most of his waking hours out among people. Why? Because he was a part of something bigger than himself. If he was, we need to be. Rebuilding, in conclusion, this theme of building. This is where Ezra 1 and 2 go together. Chapter 1 is about building a house. Chapter 2 is about a long list of names. But those two themes converge in the New Testament church because the New Testament church is a house. It's called a house several times. And it is also people. It is people who themselves, God's turning into a house. And one of the things that is involved in us being the church is we get to do what the returnees, the survivors from the exile did in Jerusalem when they got back. They built something. They rebuilt the house of the Lord. And you know what? We can do that too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Build, encourage one another, building up one another. He uses those two phrases side by side. Encourage one another and build up one another. And the build up is basically a construction term. Build. The people from Babylon rebuilt a house. We build each other when we encourage each other. Maybe this week ask for a way that you can do that for someone. Finally, Paul's, where we see how Paul saw himself as part of a larger whole. Philippians 2, verse 17. He saw himself, he says, these are his own words, as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. A drink offering was the supplemental liquid that the priests would pour on the sacrifice on the altar. They would put a lamb on the altar, they would slaughter it, and put it on the altar and get ready to offer it up to the Lord. But the last moment before they offered it, they would pour oil or wine all over it, and that was called the drink offering. Exodus chapter 29, I believe you'll find this. So the drink offering was a supplemental addition And Paul said to the Philippians, you know what, even if my life turns out to be nothing more than a a supplemental addition to your experience in God, 
you become the sacrifice on the altar, and then I get to be a few ounces of liquid thrown on as a supplement. He said, if that's all my life is, I'm okay with that because I get it. I'm a part of something bigger than myself. Here's three questions for homework. I'll send you away with Gary and the saints. At this point in my life, particularly post-COVID and we're coming out of all of that, what promises from God do I need to revisit? Two, the church matters to God. It's his dwelling place on the earth. Question, does it matter to me? Third, and this comes out of the second one, do I see myself as part of something bigger than myself? May the Lord bless his words through his spirit into your hearts. God bless.